Our learning objective is to explain the fact that the new efficient frontier as defined by the capital market line dominates the old efficient frontier produced by in risky assets, alters one's perception of the appropriate portfolio for an investor to hold. Let's start by considering the case of three risky assets. If you have three risky assets, what are the possible portfolios that can, could be created? Well, we start by thinking about a graph again where you have expected return on the vertical axis and standard deviation on the horizontal axis. But now we have three assets. We'll call them I, J, and K. We'll also think of the correlation coefficients as being someplace between plus one and negative one. So we'll no longer think about extreme cases, but more normal values of correlation coefficients, which in fact are usually positive numbers uh, ranging from 0.2 to something higher. When you have these three assets, I, J, and K, and you want to think about the portfolios that can be created, we start by looking at uh, the three assets on a pairwise basis. So you look at all the combinations of I and J that can be created, all the combinations of J and K that can be created, and all the combinations of I and K that can be created. And so that gives you three lines, and it gives you kind of a scalloped shape figure that uh, looks a little bit like a, uh, an early new moon. Now let's look at combinations of combinations. So we look at combinations of the portfolios on the I and K line with combinations of portfolios on I and J and on the J and K. And we also look at combinations of portfolios that were on the I and J line and the J and K line. And by the time you look at all the combinations of combinations that can be created, you end up with what is in effect a solid figure it has a curved edge to it on the left that looks very similar to the edge that we saw when the correlation coefficient was equal to zero. And on the right-hand side, you have uh, two scallops uh, that would be carved out. Now, what's important about this figure is two features to it. First, there will still exist an MVP a minimum variance portfolio. In this case, it will be most likely some combination of I, J, and K that will produce the least amount of risk. The other aspect is, once again, you will have an efficient frontier that will run from the minimum variance portfolio up to the asset that consists of only the asset with the highest expected return. What an investor should be looking at is only the portfolios on this efficient frontier. Most of them will probably have some way mix of the three assets, although it's possible that some of them may only have combinations of, the, of two of the assets. If we extend this concept to the world of in risky assets, where n could be an incredibly large number, um, then 
in reality, nothing much changes. You start by looking at all the assets pairwise. You then look at combinations of combinations and then combinations of combinations of combinations and so on. And once again, you will end up with a solid figure, curved line on the left, scallop shapes on the right. But the key point is that once again, you will have a, an MVP, a minimum variance portfolio, and an efficient frontier which runs from the MVP to the asset with the highest expected return. Once again, the only portfolios that you want to consider for further analysis are those portfolios on the efficient frontier. Any asset interior in that graph uh, represents an inferior combination of risk and expected return. Let's take this efficient frontier line in the world of N risky assets and impose our indifference curves on it for a fairly risk-averse investor. Well, in this case, it's very easy to uh, appreciate that the portfolio the investors will select will be fairly far to the left. If, he's, if it's a fairly risk-averse investor, he or she will have steep indifference curves, and you'll end up with a portfolio that has relatively low risk and also relatively low expected return. Now let's consider an aggressive investor so you have very flat indifference curves. And in this case, the portfolio that the investor would end up holding would be most likely fairly high up on the indifference curve, and it would have a lot more risk and a lot more expected return. In this world, we can easily see how the risk-averse investor would end up holding a, a lot of assets that are different than the aggressive investor. So the risk-averse investor would focus on assets and weights that produce a low-risk portfolio, and the aggressive investor will focus on assets and weights that produce a much riskier but higher expected return portfolio. And that's, that's the way that up until portfolio theory came along, people used to think about the investing process. Decide the client's risk tolerance and then seek out individual assets that create portfolios that sort of match that. So the, the, the uh, risk-averse investor would hold lots of what were considered low-risk type stocks and the aggressive investor would put their money into high-risk type stock. So the portfolios would tend to look very different from each other. Now let's change the nature of uh, the investment world by simply adding a risk-free asset to our consideration. So now we're going to consider a world that has N risky assets plus one risk-free asset. And we place this risk-free asset on our graph that has expected return on the vertical axis risk is measured by standard deviation on the horizontal, and we have the efficient frontier that was created when we considered only the N risky assets. Okay, so now we can consider combinations of the risk-free asset and 
portfolios on our efficient frontier. It turns out that combinations of those two assets will always be on a straight line connecting the risk-free asset and the portfolio on the efficient frontier. So that means if you pick a, a portfolio on the efficient frontier that was fairly far down to the left and you combine that with a risk-free asset, you'll end up with, with portfolios that are on a straight line connecting the two but are clearly inferior to portfolios that could be created by combining the risk-free asset with other portfolios on the efficient frontier that are even higher up on the curve. In fact, uh, you can continue that process up to a portfolio that we call Portfolio M. And at that point, you have a locus of portfolios that could be created that run from the risk-free asset up to Portfolio M, which is tangent to the efficient frontier. So at the one extreme, if you put all of your money into, risk, into the risk-free asset, and in this case, let's think of that as treasury bills, then you're, on, uh, you're at the end point. If you sell all your treasury bills and put all of your money into Portfolio M, you're at the other end of that line. Any point in between or, or, on, the, or on the left end, we refer to as lending portfolios because when you buy treasury bills, what you are doing is lending your money to the federal government. So you lend part of your money to the federal government, you put the rest in portfolio M, and that's a lending portfolio. It's certainly possible to extend that line of portfolios out beyond portfolio M. And you do that by borrowing money. And let's make this a really simple analysis. Assume you can borrow at the same rate at which you lend. In other words, assume your credit's as good as that of the federal government. So if you can borrow at the Treasury bill rate, think of it as borrowing money at the Treasury bill rate, taking the money you borrow, combining it with the money you already have and buying M. So, for example, suppose you start with 100000 and you borrow an amount equal to 20000 Then you put the entire amount into Portfolio M. Well, in this case, the weights for your portfolio would be 1.2 or 120% in M and minus 0.2 in the risk-free asset. So uh, the negative weight represents the fact that you are borrowing money rather than investing in the risk-free asset. And to compute expected return and standard deviation of the portfolios that are created, you can uh, uh, use the same concept as before when we had the uh, uh, thought about the correlation coefficient as being plus one. Now, um, an interesting uh, observation arises here that when you have both lending and borrowing portfolios, uh, 
and you can put some of your money into Treasury bill and the rest into M, or you can borrow and put it all into M, you end up with a line of portfolios that can be created that lies above the old efficient frontier, except for the one point of, of tangency. This means that, in effect, the old efficient frontier is no longer relevant, and we can think about combinations of the risk-free asset and M as being the new efficient frontier. Okay, now we talked about portfolio M. Let's think for a second. What, what would M have to be? Well, in this world we created, the implication is that everybody would end up holding only two assets, M and the risk-free asset. Well, if everybody ends up hold, putting part of their money into M, and ultimately all assets have to be held by someone, then the logical implication is that M has to be what we call the market portfolio. The market portfolio is the hypothetical portfolio that represents each investment asset in the world in proportion to its relative weight in the universe of investment assets. Unfortunately, a true market portfolio does not exist. It would be a wonderful investment vehicle if it did. And so in practice, uh, we usually use surrogates like the S&P 500 or some of the even more broadly based market indices. So let's uh, think about this line now that's created by combining the risk-free asset and M and combine that with our two investors from before, our risk-averse investor and our aggressive investor. When you impose the indifference curves for the risk-averse investor on top of this line, uh, you would s most likely see that the risk-averse investor would end up with a portfolio P1 that is fairly far to the left, meaning that this investor would most likely put most of their assets into the risk-free asset and maybe a little bit into M. For the aggressive investor with fairly flat indifference curves, they would end up holding a portfolio we'll call P2, and P2 may actually be a lending portfolio. So their optimal portfolio is out to the right of M, and they're borrowing money, combining that with their own, and buying M. This, this is sort of a bizarre implication because here we have two very different investors, a risk-averse investor and an aggressive investor, and yet they end up holding the same two assets, M and the risk-free asset. The only thing that differs is the weights. This is dramatically different than the world that we saw when you did not have a risk-free asset because remember there, the two different investors, the risk-averse and aggressive, would most likely hold different assets. Here, we're saying they will hold the same assets just in a different mix of weights. This line that can be created by combining the risk-free asset and the market portfolio is an incredibly important 
concept and, and how we think about uh, portfolios. And so we give it the name, the capital market line. I like to think of it as a better efficient frontier. And the formula for the capital market line is on the formula sheet for the course. It's on the formula sheet for the CFP exam. And the formula says that the expected return on a portfolio is equal to the risk-free rate of return plus the product of the standard deviation of the portfolio times the ratio of the difference between the expected return and the risk-free rate of return divided by the standard deviation on or of the market portfolio. This last term, the expected return on the market portfolio minus the risk-free rate divided by the standard deviation of the market portfolio is a, a concept that we sometimes refer to as the market price of risk because the capital market line is in effect uh, the collective market sense of what's an appropriate risk return trade-off. All efficient portfolios should lie on the capital market line. The capital market line defines the expected return for fully diversified portfolio. Every portfolio on this line, in theory, is a combination of the risk-free asset and the market portfolio. And the slope is the market price of risk. So let's consider a sample problem. If the expected return on the market portfolio is 10%, the risk-free rate is 4%, and the standard deviation of the market portfolio is 8%, what is the expected return on a portfolio with a standard deviation of 12%? And your choices are 13% and 9%. Well, for the solution, we get out the capital market line. Expected return is equal to the risk-free rate plus the standard deviation of the portfolio you're looking at times the market price of risk. And so in this case, that would be 4% plus 12% uh, times 10% minus 4 divided by 8%. So the market price of risk in this case is 0.75. You multiply that times the 12% standard deviation, add the 4% risk-free rate, and you get that the expected return on the portfolio would be 13%. Let's consider some true-false questions. In the capital market line framework, the planner needs only to select the percentage allocation for the risk-free asset and the market portfolio. That's true. In theory, uh, that's what all investment decisions uh, boil down to. In the capital market line framework, all investors would hold the same risky assets. They just vary the percentage of the portfolio allocated to it. Once again, that uh, would be a true statement. That the, uh, if a market portfolio existed, everybody would hold some of their money in that portfolio. In practice, of course, there is no market portfolio, and so investors are left to assemble portfolios that, as close as possible, should 
should be a surrogate for the market portfolio.